This is Learn From Others, where we interview a cross-section of successful individuals so you can learn from their experiences, achievements, and even their mistakes. We ask four questions that will educate and inspire. Greg Stanley will be your guide as we join our guests on a journey from adolescent daydreaming to success in today's world. Join us on this adventure as we learn from others together. Welcome to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. I'm very excited to introduce our special guest today, Adam Jacklish. Adam, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us today. But before you tell us what you're actually doing today, if you would, could you tell us what did you want to be when you grew up? Depends on the day that you ask me, but uh, usually <laughs> I would always say that I wanted to be I wanted to be either a comedian or I wanted to be a uh, film producer. You know, I always loved movies and music, so that was kind of always in the background to some degree, and uh, you know, kind of dabbled with it, and uh, even as far as uh, you know, making instrumentals for people and artists and things like that visually. So it was kind of a became more of a hobby, I guess. I just never took the time to really jump into the exact way I wanted to perceive how I thought it would be, I guess. <laughs> so were you funny as a kid? Like, would other people say you were funny as a kid? <laughs> um, I would say I would say so. I mean, I got a pretty good sense of humor, and sometimes it leans more, uh, my sarcasm is my humor in a respectful way, but, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I can think up pretty quick on my feet, whether it's advertising or... Uh, you know, if you throw something at me, I can usually come back pretty quick with something else. It just depends. <laughs> Did your parents or siblings experience that sarcasm as you grew up? Uh, probably a little bit in a way. I, I never really had a temper in that way. So maybe I think my way of venting was uh, through just sarcasm and call it what it is <laughs> while I had to do what I had to do. But at least I would vent about it and Still did it. I was a pretty good kid. Now, what were some of your favorite movies? You know, I, I think I have an old soul. So, I mean, I love The Godfather. I mean, it, as far as, you know, growing up, I was born in 78. So, you know, Superman and, you know, there's plenty of iconic movies throughout that time. But I, I kind of tend to go towards the classics a little bit. I mean, Star Wars, of course. And, you know, I, I had a eclectic mix and they probably started watching certain movies I wasn't allowed to, like RoboCop, I think was my <laughs> first rated R movie that my parents made the mistake of uh, leaving in the VCR from the night before and, you know, woke up early that morning, hit play, and just to see what, what it was. And, you know, I think he just started to jump into it from there. My aunt would always uh, take us to see scary movies as we were eight or nine years old as her mother did to her. So, I mean, we, we got introduced to good movies a little early on. You know, as long as we knew it wasn't real. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out if that was a good aunt or a bad aunt. <laughs> uh, she was pretty cool. So, you know, overall, I guess it uh, kind of helped shape us a little way. But I think, uh, you know, they, they raised this right to be realistic of what you're watching isn't always real. So you can't take it literally. But it definitely sometimes can give you some ideas as far as uh, a good movie plot to do. And I think it kind of took it on with me to to do that. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of what is real, what was your first real job? My first real job was uh, helping out in my dad's friend's liquor store, stocking it. <laughs> they, you know, was this um, a legal job? You know, it was legal. It was legal. I was uh, a freshman. You know, ironically or coincidentally, depends on how you want to look at it. I, I applied for McDonald's. I lived in a small town in Northern California, and McDonald's had come to the town 
like they usually do in every town. But I applied for the job, went to the interview, and it's the one job I've applied for that I've never gotten. Oh, my. You got is, rejected uh, by McDonald's? I guess so. It, it did not help. Maybe uh, it looked like I didn't need it enough or something, or just there was so many people applying, I think, being a small town, you know, that a lot of those jobs that maybe younger kids usually have were kind of given to older people. And, you know, everything happens for a reason, so it wasn't horrible. But, you know, turn right around around the corner, my good friend of my dad. My dad used to work there uh, early on as I was a kid, too. So it was kind of a family friend, and, you know, obviously he trusted me, and uh, it was a good experience to learn how to organize and give you some responsibility before and after school. So it was kind of my new version of a paper route. Obviously, with alcohol, there's responsibility, and then next thing you know, you have to run a cash register. So that then teaches you other things, too. And also that alcohol is not good. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, because you see the type of people that come in there frequently a little too much and, you know, kind of teaches you something too, so. Right, right. And lugging around those heavy boxes, you know, get a decent workout while you're at it. Yeah, it was good for football, picking up a big pallet or with a dolly of uh, beer and moving it around. It's, uh, you know, it, it wasn't over intensive labor, but it was good. The kind of attention to detail, I guess, was uh, something I may have needed and to improve on so it worked out wow that's great well what do you do today i happen to be an exotic car salesman for uh, ferrari of new england for the last 11 years and for the record that's my dream job so i'm very thrilled to have <laughs> you on <laughs> yeah, if you well, would I get to drive some cool stuff yeah if you would take us from that moment of stocking shelves at the liquor store to today like how'd you get there well i uh it's funny i always ended up eventually kind of working in some form of luxury. Um, I like luxury to some degree. Of course, I think luxury is kind of a perception because if you're in the middle of the desert, really, really thirsty, ice water is a luxury versus if you're, uh, you know, walking through the mall and you see something convenient you like, that's a luxury that others may not have. And then obviously there's customizable luxury, kind of like Ferrari, a yacht, uh, things that are a little bit more custom built and exclusive. There's different kinds of luxury. You know, I actually started off selling uh, expensive pens. Really? Like, what was the brand name? There was this uh, place called Colorado Pen Company. And, again, my cousin, who was kind of like my brother, we were both only children. So, you know, both of our moms only had one child, and we were both boys. So we grew up as brothers kind of separate. But, you know, he was a little older than me, and he introduced me to different luxuries. Like, I remember he went and bought a fountain pen. And I looked at him like he had six heads, and of course he was like 14, <laughs> and he's oh, wow. spending like $125 on a fountain pen. I was like, wow. what is this all about? You know, and I think it was a waterman from Paris. And wow. it was unique. It was different. I was like, okay, whatever floats your boat. And I, I think it kind of stuck to me because I eventually started liking pens too. My uncle did. And um, so I, at the same time, I was in Oregon and um, looking for a job, and I was like a pen store. And I mean, there was pens in there for three, four thousand dollars, up to all various things, and it it looked easy enough. I wasn't really looking for extreme responsibility, but it was just something to fill the time, and they paid well. So I, it kind of rubbed off from there. And then I ended up doing that for like a year and a half, and I ended up moving to um, Massachusetts from Portland, Oregon. From that point on, I was actually really good at selling like the really expensive stuff. I don't know why. Mm. I just Maybe I think it's just personality, I guess. If you like people, it's easy to talk to people. And as long as I think you're genuine, 
I think that's a really important quality to have in anything today is being genuine with people. And um, I, then I started selling jewelry uh, for Bailey Banks and Biddle, uh, which was at the time, probably still is, I think a lot of them closed, but it was one of the oldest jewelry companies in the world next to Tiffany's. And, you know, they had some very exotic things. And at the same time, I had just moved to Massachusetts and it was obviously a little bit more expensive to live here than it was in Oregon. So I applied and met people that I still know 20 years later. Next thing you know, I'm selling diamonds, exotic wow. gems and different treasures and things. So I, I think I just always liked luxury or was good at it, you know, sell to a couple of different Celtics players and, you know, making just some good relationships along the way, selling $3 million diamonds to different things. But I, uh, eventually did that and then of course I loved watches that was my next passion that entered its way into my life of seeing these things and uh, so that was just kind of you know watches pens lighters cigars I guess it just kind of fell into me uh, as far as things that stood out or at least I think the eclecticness of it you know the aging of a cigar versus time that it took to form a diamond or a precious stone or ruby Things like that, I guess, you know, things that were a little bit more exclusive, per se. Yeah, it seems like you're going, you're continuing to kind of diversify a little bit in the same type of space. You're learning about new stuff, your new products. And what's interesting is you're going up and kind of everything's getting a little bit bigger, a little bit more expensive. So I'm guessing your next exactly. job will be selling like private jets probably, right? Or yachts. It right? could be or yachts, <laughs> I was thinking. It was actually going to be real estate and because I do have my real estate license too, but I... Uh, Again, I, I think it just kind of comes back to um, just being genuine and having some passion or some direction for things. I, uh, you know, I loved education. I was good at school, but it just wasn't always. It didn't stand out enough to me to really want to pursue it. To it, at that time, it didn't make sense to spend that kind of money on a tuition and not have any idea of what I wanted to do. Or you know, I see my other peers that spent that same amount of money only to learn how to drink beer faster or more of it, <laughs> right. you know, which I think was part of growing up in a way, but I don't, you know, it, it kind of robs you of ambition. And even till today, none of them are using their degrees that they spent well over two, $300,000 to obtain other than to say, look, I got a piece of paper. You know, right. I, I think right. I, I don't want to discondone of going to school when I think it's important. I wish I probably would have to some degree, but I kind of had to take my own entrepreneurial <laughs> Um, experience and mindset and kind of move forward and I, there's nothing wrong with a lateral move but if you're going to jump don't be scared to jump number one but move forward move right. go up in what you're selling it wasn't really that I was it was beneath me to sell something inexpensive to everyone but it just never never excited me I always kind of wanted to I know I can do something better and it was just easier to sell something really expensive I don't. I don't know why. I don't really have an answer to. Now, did you go from jewelry and watches to automobiles, straight to Ferrari? How that transition? I did. I ended up. It, it was coincidental that I was working at this mall in Burlington, Massachusetts, which is a pretty big mall, upscale mall, and uh, some of my friends worked for a uh, clothing store, like a high-end clothing store, Italian suits and things, and they were having, I think, a Ferrari Maserati type of event. Coincidentally, the general manager had walked in. Uh, the jewelry store I was working at sold very expensive watches and jewelry, and they were going out of business. It was their liquidation sale. And the name of that store was Alpha Omega. 
everyone kept asking me because you had clients and just people you meet during this liquidation sale, Rolexes and all these other luxury goods, and they asked me, what do you want to do? And it was so funny that I basically said, you know what, I want to go work for Ferrari. I, I don't want to work for Lamborghini. I want to go sell for Ferraris. My mindset was I am polished enough to sell whatever I like that I might as well go with something I really love, and it was kind of Ferraris. And coincidentally, that Ferrari Maserati event was happening at my friend's clothing store, and the manager just happened to walk in, was looking around, and I ended up helping him. Gave him my card saying, hey, this gig is going to be ending in probably a couple months. I'd like to apply. And I guess kind of the rest is history. <laughs> he called me back wow. like the next day. And then, behold, I went and worked for Ferrari Maserati. So if you would, tell us, what is your typical work week like or your typical day? It, it really can vary. I mean, it's, my store is located probably in a high-traffic area. Our owner probably feels it's great because it's accessible to everyone. And, you know, a lot of we don't necessarily need people in the showroom to be busy because we deal with clients a lot over the phone now, even more through text message, unfortunately, which is a little bit more or less impersonal. But it is just the way it is. You know, we sell used vehicles all over the country. I work long hours. It, it is it is a sacrifice because it's well, every Ferrari is custom built to design, and sometimes you're already working on things before it even exists. Uh, once it does exist, you're then working with that client in a way of putting their portfolio together like we're financial planners but with vehicles eventually sometimes it's a little bit of a quid pro quo to qualify for a car your ownership history then comes into play and if the ownership history is not quite where it needs to be then we need to fill some of those spaces in order to present that to the factory to justify giving you this car earlier than your existing clientele who may already have a very successful ownership history, but I think it's fair because it's good to add new blood to the mix as well versus just selling cars to the same 30, 40 people all the time. So it, it's a lot of work before a car exists as it's about to be released. Once it's released, building it a couple times, designing it, it's almost like I'm an interior decorator sometimes for cars because, right. you know, people, I think when you have that relationship with people, they, they trust you and they want your opinion. They want to see what you would do. Sometimes they go completely with what you would do. Uh, others can obviously just to use that as an example to build the canvas that they envision. And that's really the key is making them happy, get them to what they want, and maybe try something they haven't done before cosmetically. And, you know, so, so the day can kind of be filled up with one or two people, and that takes up your entire day. Or sometimes you're doing busy work. Sometimes we, we don't have enough time in the day to do that if you have a lot going on because it is still the car industry you know we're selling a lot of different vehicles at one time and sometimes you have to stop this three million dollar car you're helping design or in the middle of selling to go sell something else that's nowhere near that price point and that's okay it's but it's just it's hard to maintain consistency sometimes so you have to be organized you have to be a little bit more on the foreshadowing of where you're going to be and anticipate that. And for our non-car folks, now correct me mm -hmm. when I'm wrong here, but do you sell new and used Ferraris or are you strictly pre-owned? Uh, we sell new and used. Usually when there's a new Ferrari on the showroom, it is available because either the factory gifted you a new car that was already built because you may have done certain things or they just, you know, to add to your sales figures as a reward. 
for jumping through hoops for them, <laughs> or maybe there's a cancellation. I mean, sometimes from the time that that car is ordered uh, to the time it arrives can be four and a half to five and a half months to where it's actually sitting here in the showroom. A lot happens sometimes. Of course, it was the you know that's a year of work when that car arrives usually. So everyone right. thinks that they just pop up and they're here ready to go. Uh, but, you know, everyone's life moves at a different pace and things happen. They decide to move a different direction or make another purchase like a home, and now maybe that's not the appropriate time anymore to do that. Being a Ferrari, it's not a hard thing to sell, so we're usually okay with that, and it's not a distressed merchandise to move, so it, it helps for another enthusiastic per person walking in. And here it is right here, which right. then it allows you to kind of see if there are really – just talking to talk because they know it's not available. And then when it is available, let's see if they really are who they say they want to be. <laughs> right. Right. You know? Yeah. And speaking to your point about being a financial planner, you're obviously talking mm -hmm. about high dollar cars and also your reference to being an interior decorator. You're also talking about high dollar options and a lot of options, correct? Correct. Yeah. I mean, and, and see with Ferrari, it never really cost you anything to own the car because they either were in such high demand and such few were made. Ferrari always kind of had the mentality, uh, which has worked for them very well, you know, build 10 less than you know you can sell. Meaning if you, know, if you can sell 20, why would you make 20, make 10 or 12? Keep the demand solid. Right. A lot of luxury brands, especially when you get to luxury, uh, unfortunately I think makes this mistake. They immediately start to produce more to feed that, but then it doesn't, it loses that exclusivity to some degree. Right. I, right. I think that you can be exclusive by not making a lot of them or of something, or you can be exclusive by charging extreme amount of money for something, which then limits to the amount of people that would be buying something. Um, you need a little bit of combination of those and it's not to be to keep people away because this is a brand that's loved for many reasons. I mean, I loved it from the first time I saw it. I don't know why, just something about it. To people that just love cars in general, and I think it, it speaks to us regardless of what you do or don't like, but it's, it's just there, and it's a brand that's really unlike anything else. Maybe they were just lucky by selling out last, previous to what other brands kind of do to meet the demand that they are being asked to fill. Yes, and I will never forget I was at a concourse at a hangar party, and Someone had the new F12 at this at that time, and I asked, "Why'd you get the F12 instead of the new Lamborghini?" He's like, "Well, because anyone can buy a Lamborghini." Yeah, <laughs> that was his response. I'm like, "Yeah, there you go." <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's a magnificent brand, but they are their new, brand new in the showroom, waiting to be bought on top of also being customized for someone. But Ferrari, they're all made to order, so right. it, it does create that part where you know, previous to you know, 2009 that you know, the car would be 100000 over sticker the first two years of its life, and every person that buys it would maybe make a, make 50000 to just own it and to tr sign it over to someone else, and then they would do So it never cost them anything. Uh, it was very rare for a car to do that because, again, it was, you know, sometimes a one- to three-year wait depending on your ownership history with the brand, and if the dealership's only getting seven or eight cars and 40 people want it, that's, it's a good position to be in, but it's also leaves a position to take advantage of people. And I think you still have to ethically, uh, you know, a true friend will stab you in the front, not in the back. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, right. it's, it's 
something I like to say in a way because it's, it is the relationship. Relationship is what allows me to sell these cars. I think the cars kind of sell themselves, but you still need someone to maybe guide you, assist you, and being genuine and honest, you know, is, is kind of the, as in life, is the way to go, I think. Agreed. Yeah, totally agree. As a reminder, you can check out all previous episodes at learnfromothers.org. And if you're an educator or a student, you can search for podcasts by Career Cluster. So, Adam, we learned what you wanted to be when you grew up, which was a comedian or a film producer, and what you actually do today, which is a Ferrari brand ambassador. So if you could do it all over again, what would you do differently? Wow, that's a, that's a deep question. What would I do differently? I probably would have started doing this earlier. So I could have been around a little bit when the Enzo was coming out or other models. Uh, you know, our brand has a lot of really cool stuff that at that time before it really is now priced to what they are today. You know, there's a little bit more of uh, availability. You know, you could actually see a short wheel-based California Spider. Everyone kind of knows that from Ferris Bueller's Day Off or something. You know, what's now a $17 million car maybe back then was, you know, still you know, five or 600,000, you know, and mm. gradually went up. But, it, you know, even though it, it, it sounds weird to say that 500,000 is moderate, but sometimes when a 250 GTO is now, you know, 55, 60 million, you know, it, it would have been neat to be around during that day to actually see them to where now they're just sitting in someone's garage never to see the light of day sometimes. So I, I guess in, that, in hindsight, that's, it would have been nice to do this a little earlier on. Yeah, and then a quick shout-out to Cincinnati. We actually have two of the GTOs here in Cincinnati. So Yes, you do. Not that I've seen them in person other than at car shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I may even know who owns them. <laughs> I, I know their names. Uh, that's yeah. cool. Let's assume that a student in our audience wants to do what you do, to be a luxury goods brand manager or brand ambassador. What advice would you give them? Well, I would say um, – you know, do your homework a little bit. If you love what you're selling, then it's not too much trouble to learn more about it. Know the history of it. Um, just be good with people. There's always room to learn more. I, I think that um, obviously just being good, obviously with math, being good with people, having some manners, being able to articulate yourself to others, I think kind of goes a long way. Um, unfortunately, I, I don't think I'm really contributing to society like a teacher would be or a you know, a doctor or something, but I think it's, it's a fun job. It, the car industry is definitely changing and has been changing. Um, you know, so it's, I think it's, if it's something you love, I mean, it, it wouldn't be bad for you to learn a little bit more about it, the history and even where it's going. I mean, it, it is a Ferrari, so at least it's an exciting subject. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I said, just be genuine. I mean, the car industry, unfortunately, does have a lot of bad you know, stereotypes of things like that. And, and unfortunately, a lot of those are true. And, you know, really, I just never give up your integrity. And, you know, even when the most genuine answer isn't what they want to hear, I think sticking to that is what makes you go a lot further. And you never know who you're dealing with. That one little, I think, patience and diligence obviously really helps. That That's, I think, the key is following up to, with some of these people and being nice to everybody. You never know who you're dealing with. They don't have to show up in a suit. They don't have to show up in a Rolls Royce to immediately start treating them differently. And some of the most wealthiest or nicest people I know don't look to fit the part. 
and I think that they appreciate that, that you treat them normal, whether it's specific football players that work and practice right down the field from us. You know, you treat everyone the same, and I think that that's kind of the key to being really good at what you do. I think that's really key, and I think, you know, perfect example, you treated me just like anybody else, and you didn't know that I was just a little podcast host slash candy salesman, so I appreciate that. I pulled up in my national rental car. I don't even remember what it was, but it definitely wasn't something fancy. <laughs> hey, it doesn't have to be because sometimes uh, clients still have a lot of practical uses for things, and lo and behold, you go over to the house and they open up the the door and next thing you know there's an f50 and f40 and an enzo all less <laughs> right. than 100 miles that's a true story actually uh coming over to his house just to drop something off and next thing wow. you know you're like you're, you're you think you imagine your jaw drops and it did and you know he left me alone in the room for a couple minutes while i went into the house and that's when you just start screaming on the inside <laughs> out of joy but it right. was pretty cool you know, yeah, no kidding. later he asked me to help him sell those through the dealership. And oh, wow. it, it was funny because I'd always been great to him and he liked me. And, you know, I, I always told him back in, I think it was 2010, you know, I'm going to help you sell these cars one day. And in 2013, when he did, there were other people calling on the phone to offer him even more money. And he's like, no, I made my deal. And that was me right. in the way to buy them through the dealership. And, we sold them through here. I think if you look at the uh, DuPont registry, I think it's like August 2012. Whenever there's those three cars on the cover, those were those three cars. Oh, I'll have to check it out. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, it goes to building a relationship, like you said. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it is. You know, I mean, it's uh, we're in the happiness business. I mean, I think you can be in a lot of things. So I think as long as you have passion for what you do and you love what you do and you're good to people, it doesn't matter what you do. I think a lot of these characteristics kind of uh, – follow you in regardless of what you do. Totally agree. Mm -hmm. Well, are there any current projects you are working on that you would like to share? We're doing, uh, I'm doing a couple different customized cars. I got uh, some Pista Spiders on the way that are going through the Atelier, which really? is a real customized through the factory uh, where you fly to Italy and actually sit with people at the factory and design your own car, basically. Can I go with you? Can I take notes? Yeah, that would be awesome. You know, I, I unfortunately, <laughs> I, I didn't get to go to Italy. I had to send them on my own. I had something else I had to do, uh, oh, having children wow. and stuff. But it's okay. You know, you still get to see a lot of your work accomplished and done that way. Uh, so there's a couple pieces of spiders, and we're just starting off to introduce the F.A. Tributo, which is the uh, 488 replacement. And Beautiful cars. You know, yep. For those... Uh, People that really love speed, that SF90, which is the new hybrid, is being released at some point. So we'll start designing those. And, you know, there's uh, some good candidates that will be uh, excited because their favorite part is actually designing and customizing a Ferrari. So we have a lot of passionate clients, and that's their favorite part. They, they kind of don't let money take away from what something costs to do because they end up building some of the most exotic cars, not because they're going to get that back in resale. It's just because that's their passion for the brand is to build something very unique that only they have speaking of cars i'm a huge car person as you know and yeah. we don't know each other other than meeting once up there in new england but could you tell uh -huh. me what was your first car well i had a couple first cars so there's technically different uh the first car given to me was for my grandfather he gave me a 1972 el dorado convertible oh okay which was awesome it was a big giant behemoth of a thing I think my cousin got the better deal. He got the 59 Cadillac, but that's okay. Wow. 
my first car was a 1989 Mustang, six-speed, five-speed manual. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I uh, unfortunately then lost that due to a failure of the e-brake. Yeah, my, my second to last day of junior year of high school, it rolled down the hill at school. The e-brake did not work, apparently, and it rolled all the way down and hit a light pole. So then my car became a Geo Metro, which is probably <laughs> the worst car to ever get, ever, at that point. Not because I was unfortunate to have a car, it just... To go from a Mustang to that at, in high school really didn't. It was still wheels, but, you know, that was the car my dad used to take, like, on long golf trips because of its gas mileage. 44 miles yeah. a gallon. I owned yeah, three right. of them. I think it was, like, 49 at that time even then. But uh, the first car given to me was my grandfather's Cadillac because he was a big Cadillac guy. Uh, but my first car technically that I helped pay for with my job at the liquor store and a couple other jobs from there was the Mustang. That's awesome. My first car was yeah. also a Mustang, but it was a 1968, okay. and the e-brake went out as well, and it wow. rolled down onto a baseball diamond during a picnic. Thankfully, no one was playing. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, it must be a thing for Mustangs at that point. But uh, <laughs> Strong I, I strong know. tradition of e-brake failures. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. That's, 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 uh, that's uh, interesting. What's your dream car? This has got to be a hard one to answer. Wow. Wow. My dream car... Obviously, one of them is going to be a Ferrari. That would be the F40. Okay. Yep. You know, my my other real one that's kind of tied is the 250 Lusso. Okay. Gorgeous car. You know, like 65? Maybe? It's a 62, 63. Okay. Well, one great perk to some jobs is a company car. So if I had all the money in the world, I'd love to buy a cool company car based on your job. And yours was fairly easy because yeah, it had to be a Ferrari. Okay. And ironically, yeah. you've already mentioned the Ferrari that I picked for you. Can you guess what it is? An F40? No, older than that. And not a, a Lusso. Not a Lusso. The GTO. Not a GTO. One more California earlier Spider. you mentioned. California, California Spider. Spider. Yeah, I'd pick the, uh, either a short wheelbase or long wheelbase or alloy. Ooh. Your Ooh. choice. The alloy or the short wheelbase. Maybe both mixed together. <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> actually two... Yes. Two coming up for sale here shortly, uh, 58 and a 59, I believe. One long wheelbase, one short wheelbase. So we'll see how they do. So if I had all the money in the world, that's the car I would get for you. I would love cool you to company car. You know, I even have a, a Chihuahua <laughs> named Enzo as well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much for taking us on your career journey today. What's the best way our listeners can learn more about you or Ferrari? Uh, you can visit me here at uh, Ferrari Maserati, New England, in Norwood, Massachusetts. You can uh, shoot me an email if you like, if you need something or uh, need help uh, finding something, getting rid of something. You know, we have, I kind of give concierge service to everyone, so you can find me on my email, which is agj360 at gmail.com. So that's Adam Greg John. 360 at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking us on your career journey today, Adam. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. Where will our next adventure take us? Subscribe to find out. If you know of someone who has a cool career story or occupation, contact Greg through Instagram at Greg Stanley LFO. That's G-R-E-G-S-T-A-N-L-E-Y-L-F-O. And we will see you soon as we learn from others together.